0: Hello and welcome to Motorsport Extra. We're back once more for a roundup of everything that's been happening in the world of motorsport and a look ahead to what is a very busy couple of weeks of racing action. As ever, it's Ben Evans and Keith Time with you. Keith, how have things been since we last spoke?
1: Hectic, and obviously being right in the middle of back-to-back Formula 1 race weekends, and with the Le Mans 24 hours coming up, and an awful lot of IndyCar action as well, it's been a very heavy diet of motor racing uh, at the moment. I'm, I'm absolutely packed until uh, August.
0: Yeah, I well, since we spoke, I saw one of the greatest motor races I've ever seen, which was the GT Open race in Paul Ricard, which if you've not seen the last couple of laps, well, well worth searching out thoroughly enjoyed that and then i've had a couple of weeks off uh, all things motor racing which has been been quite refreshing in many respects but we have got plenty to talk about let's start with the canadian grand prix and it was another victory for lewis hamilton wasn't a great race for nico rosberg and mercedes cause was helped somewhat by their main rivals in this instance ferrari throwing the race away
1: kind of a repeat of the Australian Grand Prix in many ways. And I think this will have hurt Ferrari more than they let on because they really did have a chance to win this one.
0: Yeah, they, they did. It was a brilliant start from Sebastian Vettel. Now, to be slightly controversial, for my money, the first corner in Canada has given Lewis Hamilton the world title this year. It swung
1: things massively back in his favour, definitely. I mean, Rosberg had this 43-point lead two races ago and he's squandered pretty much all of it very, very quickly.
0: Because... It was, you know, we spoke after the Spanish race about, did Rosberg do the right thing to shut the door? Well, for, for my money, Lewis Hamilton didn't give Nico Rosberg racing room. He ran him off the road, and...
1: As, as Rosberg did to Hamilton in yeah. the same race two years earlier.
0: Yeah, and... For, if I was the championship leader and I knew that this battle was going to keep running all season if I was Rosberg I'd have held my line and and basically said to Lewis we can have a crash or you can actually give me the racing room the fact he backed out rejoined in eighth got stuck behind a force India forever Lewis Hamilton now knows next to me does that Rosberg will have the same response did he really back out I mean they
1: did make contact going into the corner
0: he could have I, I'd have still held the line you'd have found a
1: way to <laughs> yeah a- absolutely <laughs> excellent but even from that point it wasn't a given that Hamilton was going to win and, and for the first few laps you know Vettel looked in a pretty strong position and that Ferrari with its new turbo was within two tenths of Hamilton in, in qualifying that was a pretty good effort.
0: Yeah and it's going to make the second half of the championship quite quite interesting because actually for the first time in several seasons now we've potentially got a Red Bull and a Ferrari that on merit, are going to be able to c- compete with the Mercedes.
1: At the tracks that suit them, I think definitely. I mean, Ferrari, you know, on the quicker tracks, Canada, possibly Baku this weekend, and then moving on Red Bull uh, ring, uh, they could look good there. Red Bull, conversely, obviously they were so strong at Monaco. Ricardo totally on pole on merits, you got to think, Hungara ring, Singapore, they're going to be close there. So and they're going to cause headaches for Mercedes. You can't really see them being a season-long championship rivals yet but i think we stand to get some better races and and maybe quite a few fewer mercedes one twos
0: than we had 12 months ago i certainly hope so and valtteri bottas completing the podium long overdue result and the williams team there is a view they've gone backwards in successive seasons and and this is a an important result. I
1: think at best they've, they've treaded water and in Formula 1 that is going backwards because everyone develops at such a rate and I think there's a, a case to say well you know Williams with with the money they've got up against Ferrari and all the rest of it not having a manufacturer behind them what else do you expect them to do? But that was a, a big big result for Bottas he definitely needed that uh, I think last year Massa was so close to him so often, it kind of undermined Bottas's case as a driver who one of the top manufacturer teams might want to pick up on. But you look back at the last couple of races, uh, Raikkonen was, you have to say, thoroughly indifferent in Canada, even taking into account Ferrari's strategy blunder, more of which in a moment. Um, he was not at all good in Monaco. He binned the car about a dozen laps in. Um, and there's Bottas, you know, the only driver other than Hamilton who made that one-stop strategy work, and it really brought Williams into contention. Always been a bit of a Montreal specialist, Bottas.
0: Yeah, and I mean the the Raikkonen conundrum continues. You've got to think P45 time because you read a lot about Formula One trading wars. They're not being openings for drivers, actually. If you were really brave at Ferrari, do you put something in for the second half of the season? Question mark.
1: Well, it's what Red Bull you know, chose to do, wasn't it? Yeah. And you have to say, if you're Ferrari, winning the Constructors' Championship is of no interest to you. You don't need the extra money because you get all the extra money from Eccleson just for showing up and being Ferrari. So uh, why not do it? I, I, to answer my own question, I think you would not do it because you wouldn't want to upset. Uh, potentially upset or, or maybe destabilize Fettel who's obviously you know pretty solid and secure and happy in that team and I, t- I tend to think Ferrari although they've definitely got two world champions maybe still there's, there's an element there of the Ferrari of old of, of building themselves more around one driver than having the two best they can get their hands on
0: at the same time I, I would still consider plugging somebody in for, once the championship's definitively out of reach plug somebody in for a few races see what happens
1: it would be a pretty harsh verdict on uh, on Raikkonen. You have to <laughs> keep in mind, of course, as well, they've already cut Raikkonen's Reichen- sh- contract short once, but then maybe that uh, begs the question. Yeah, but in a, we- back.
0: in a weekend where Formula 1's got a new alcohol sponsor, you'd have thought there'd have been something to elevate his game. Um, talking of things that don't look happy and stable, that Renault looks like an absolute dog to drive
1: certainly did in uh, in Canada and you have to say they've had two uh, consecutive crashes now because uh, Palmer had his big one in Monaco and Magnussen had a a, a pretty big smash Uh, in final practice and that was a pretty hard hit Um, no when you consider that the Red Bull has got the same engine in there and you look at how much performance Red Bull are getting with the same power unit um, there is an absolutely huge amount of uh, ground for Renault to make up but you know you come back to the fact that that car was basically not developed throughout all of last year Uh, and and Lotus even uh, made an appearance on can't pay we'll take it away on channel 4 uh, when the loan guys came around yeah channel 5 channel five i correct myself
0: can't say i've ever seen it
1: or i've only seen that one episode and it was quite an eye-opener
0: yeah can, can well imagine well we have got as you alluded to earlier the double header probably by the time you've listened to this your track action certainly will have been underway in baku the race may have taken place as well it, it's going to be different if nothing else it seems to be a very odd circuit
1: yeah, I think it's going to tend towards a one-stop strategy, definitely you would say that, because it's going to be low grip and Pirelli have gone conservative with t- with the tyre allocation. I mentioned that up top because it might not immediately be obvious to the Ferrari pit wall who made their massive blunder uh, with Vettel, which I think um, perhaps get into a little bit briefly. Um, A lot of people were surprised by that one and that's why you know coming straight into this i said it was a bit of a repeat of australia um because you know once again one of mercedes rivals surrendering the advantage of track position over the silver cars why would you give that up so easily in the case of ferrari um obviously they had this virtual safety car period um and they reasoned that the safety car period was going to go on long enough for them to bring both their drivers in and get them stopped in the event they didn't get either of them done in the time, and I think they probably should have been able to see that coming because you know well, Ben, you know, we sit there in the commentary box every now and then there's a safety car period and our producer gets in our ear and says, you know, how long do you think this safety car period is going to last? Do you think we have have time for an advert break? Um, and we'll try and make a call on it. And you looked at why the virtual safety car had been called. There was Button Button's car stopped at the side of the track, no damage, right next to an access point, easily able to move. That safety car period was never going to last very long. And sure enough, after 63 seconds, it was over. Um, so it was surprising that they didn't cancel the call for Vettel to come in and astonishing that they didn't cancel the call for Raikkonen to come in, which completely ruined his race.
0: Yeah, it, it was... I, I sometimes just think with one, one strategy, they overthink it and don't actually respond to what's going on... It's Monaco right again. ...right in front of them. Uh, well, Baku would be interesting. If, if nothing else, if you ever visited the website Sniff Petrol and read... The, uh, the fictional Formula One columnist, Trenton Sleeves. Worth reading some of those and then looking at certain Formula One journalists' tweets from the last 24 hours is all I will say.
1: What uh, interested me about uh, Baku was back when the race was first announced was uh, Flavio Briatore saying it was an F1 kind of place. Not the kind of endorsement you want from not the kind of person you want giving that kind of endorsement.
0: No, and it, you know, it, it's certainly another run on sort of the. Uh, well, th- there is a view that says Formula One has never has not got a spotless history in mm. in where it staged some of its races. They they clung on in apartheid-era South Africa for longer than pretty much any other sport. They raced in Spain under Franco, so it, it's not it's not new territory to go to uh, to countries that have maybe got a. Uh, a slightly dubious human rights record. I think what is different is the the shamelessness with which the sport colludes with some of those regimes to promote an image.
1: I, I think sometimes Eccleston delights in, yeah, provoking that kind of thing because he knows that, that he can get away with it. I do wonder... What it does for you know some sponsors who maybe don't want to get involved because of those reasons and and it's the sort of thing that you know is is never really going to come out because they'll just never consider getting involved in F one in the well, first place. Uh,
0: may, maybe now is a good time to talk about the Heineken deal actually because it one of the points I was going to make around that fits exactly with the point that you've just made, which is the way that the sport is currently configured, the places it goes and races there are only a certain type of brand that are going to be wanting to be involved and for example a very high revenue brand around ethical food might not want to be associated with a sport that races in some of the places that it does and therefore that does actually close off some of some of the organizations that are going to be to be involved
1: i think the other interesting aspect of the heineken deal is how this mirrors what we were in go back a decade or so with tobacco sponsorship and for quite a few years with tobacco sponsorship the writing was on the wall you know you knew it was going to get banned and, and formula one clung on in there and clung on in there um obviously there there are similar moves afoot now with alcohol sponsorship and it's starting to look inevitable that in a few years down the line, some countries are going to ban that as well. But if you think back to the tobacco era, I, you know, I remember Eccleston going on all the time, oh, you know, if Europe bans tobacco advertising, and at the time it was the European Union that was kind of leading the way, that doesn't matter. We, you know, we've got all these other races out in the in the Middle East and all the rest of it. That doesn't work with alcohol because actually quite a few of the new race venues, alcohol sponsorship is already not allowed. Um, and furthermore, I think there's a specific problem as far as Formula One goes linking to alcohol, which is drink driving. Nobody really cared about the problem of drink smoking. It's very hard to smoke when you've got a full-face crash helmet on. Um, but drink driving, you know, I, I think there's a, a clear line of criticism that you can have against alcohol being connected to motor racing.
0: Yeah, I, I, to, to present the counter-argument, alcohol sponsorship has been in Formula One for a very, very long time. And didn't raise maybe the questions that it is prompting now in in the past. You know, you had Cronenberg, who's on a LaRouche. You had Lowenbrough on a McLaren on occasion. Like the
1: martini cars going out to yeah.
0: the 70s. Uh, you had Mum, who the champagne's provider. Fa- Foster's had a very similar deal to to the one that Heineken have got that went unnoticed for years. Admittedly, this have the tragic side effect. My brother, once in a four-on-one hospitality, drinking underage several pints of that fair beverage and passing out and missing a qualifying session but that at least
1: that was the only thing that happened. uh, And we're not
0: going to share that with anybody that that's absolutely secret um please leave that in and um i I think the other thing i'd say is that heineken as somebody who's a huge fan of rugby transformed the european cup competition the heineken cup and most brands i'd be very cynical are they going to actually bring something to the sport, I think Heineken can because they have done it successfully with other sports and have invested money very cannily that have given maximum exposure to the sport and the brand the other thing I'd also say is that this podcast absolutely will accept alcohol advertising either in cash or in kind I unless also, it's carling
1: I also wonder, whatever happened to Johnny as Formula 1's official whiskey? that was announced to great fanfare a few years ago and then it completely went silent Oh, I think I think at the time, McLaren and, and FOM were jockeying for their money, and a lot of people were expecting the Johnny Walker logos to vanish off the McLarens.
0: Yeah, well, there was certainly part of me that wondered, because embargoes got broken around this particular deal, whether or not it would actually ever materialise.
1: You do wonder when, when these these things come out and they get leaked beforehand, and, and certainly there were some yeah red faces about that one.
0: Mind you, the the shamelessness with which I've seen certain grandees in the sport posing with a certain bottle of beer really makes me hope that Jurex consider re-entering the the, the sport. Not before time. (laughs) Moving across to the United States, because it's been a very busy time for the world of IndyCar, because they had the duel in Detroit immediately after the Indianapolis 500. Then they travelled the the length of the country for the the Texas 600 or... Part of it. Texas 72, Laps, most of which were under pace car uh, last weekend. I mean, the place to start probably is the absolutely miraculous escape for Joseph Newgarden.
1: That was a real shocker. And it was one of those crashes where, you know, sometimes the driver has a crash and you think, oh, that's terrible. And sometimes you have a crash which unfolds before you and you can see what's about to happen. And it, it's really quite sickening um, because it was obviously for quite a while sliding along the track, obviously heading roll hoop first towards the barrier. Um, Given the nature of the crash, his injuries, which I think were limited to a fracture to his shoulder and a fracture to his wrist, were astonishingly light.
0: Part of I think what bothers me about IndyCar crashes more than others is the drivers do so much to connect with the fans. You really care about the individual in the car. I know. I agree. When completely. an accident like that that's happening, and you know, Joseph Newgarden, somebody I've worked with when he raced in the United Kingdom and interviewed him several times, and and you just really worry when you see the car sliding along like that.
1: It is the particular nature of a track like Texas. This does get asked a lot. Is it too dangerous for IndyCar? Because it has the very, very high steeped banking. And it has you know th- that nature of the, uh, the slightly dented oval shape that they use, particularly for NASCAR racing, where if you have that kind of crash where you go hard against the barrier, there's a very strong chance you're going to have a secondary impact further down the line.
0: Yeah, I, I, there's part of me that thinks actually high-speed ovals under modern safety standards, are too dangerous. For even Indy, Indy car. I'm. I would not be surprised if we got into a situation in a couple of years' time where you had Indy as the sole oval on the IndyCar schedule.
1: Well, you have to say from a point of view of the tickets that they're able to sell, wouldn't be a huge surprise. I mean, even Texas, which has been a, a long-standing race, you know, back when this was the Indy Racing League when it first split from uh, from CART as you know when they started putting their oval schedule together um it was one of the the early ones they've had on it's one of the ones that's remained there year after year and for a while it even held two rounds i think at texas um but it has always been a worry and of course when CART tried to race there in 2001 because their their cars were so much more powerful they went basically too fast for the circuit all the drivers started to have blackouts and and have these enormous crashes so they couldn't race there at all indycar with their you know slightly higher downforce cars than they had previously they're not far off that level of performance certainly not close enough for blackouts to be a problem and I'm sure they're very uh, alert to that potential problem but they still are yeah very very quick cars for that kind of track
0: in terms of the championship though Simon Pagenaud he has extended his points lead coming out of Detroit obviously no points awarded yet for Texas because the race hasn't finished yet
1: yes and uh, this creates a very interesting situation where uh, we could see James Hinchcliffe leading two races at once at some point over the next couple of months
0: there, there is a large part of me that would would like the, what happened on Sunday to be scrubbed and they start again
1: Well this was one of the tweets that Eddie Gossage the, the boss at Texas Motor Speedway was uh, was promoting um, because obviously they had these 72 laps. Um, from lap 43 on it was completely under caution so you know slightly more than half of what they did run was uh, was competitive mileage um, and I don't think it was coming down a- on either side of that but you could you could see the case in point particularly from fans who you know travelled a long way to get there and then go and couldn't necessarily come back you know, just to say you know why not just start afresh
0: and also for Joseph New Garden and Daily, Daly their sponsors will have a race weekend with, with no exposure I mean well they will because they'll be replaying that crash at Infinitum probably but there's not an awful lot of the sponsor's log was left on no. the <laughs> car at the uh, end of that uh, crash and, and I think you know because I've been involved in race meetings where there have been make-up rounds from previous cancellations and it can be really odd because you get to a point in the season where you've got different deals that have been done and you've got 10 cars sat in the paddock not getting to race because they weren't entered six months previously
1: mm, it would be odd for to have those teams show up and obviously you know new garden daily just to be standing around not playing any part in what you know for the most part feels like a new race because there is still much of the race distance left to be run
0: what we'll try and do though if they are not allowed to races we'll see if one or the other of them wants to join us for the bt sport commentary for that one
1: yeah absolutely uh, um we we'll just go back to detroit for a moment because that was an interesting uh, pair of races i was commentating through the second one um and as you said Pagino had pole for both of those, didn't manage to win either of them, but still managed to extend his points lead, and that's why... You know, to me, it's just looking utterly inevitable that that he's going to take the title this year because whatever happens to him, he, he still manages to take points off his rivals. And assuming that Texas is going to continue, in, you know, as it is at the moment, Dixon once again had, had got unlucky. He picked up you know a load of debris from the uh, New Garden crash. Unlucky, obviously, in the context of not being unlucky enough to actually have the crash. Um, but even so, you know, it's another setback for the guy who's closest to Pagano. And it just seems that the second place in the championship is cursed at the moment.
0: Yeah, it's, it, and it's going to be interesting now that we head to a series of, of roads and street course again, Road America, then Toronto, then Mid-Ohio, again, it can all, all start to change. The only other bit of racing to bring up speed with is we have the World Touring Car Championship at the Moscow Raceway.
1: And a double win for Lada, There's something I never thought I'd say.
0: And what a surprise after Mark Wing Hart took a win for China in the Chinese round for Lada ring at the Moscow Raceway.
1: Yeah, they had um, quite a lot less weight on, I think, than um, Citroen. I know for the next round in Portugal, they're going to be 10 kilos lighter than the Citroens. I think there was something in the region of 30 kilos lighter, possibly more,
0: in Moscow. Great. Lovely track as well. So let's move on to the news. And I guess we, we start with the very sad news, the, the passing of Louis Salom at the, the Catalan Moto Grand Prix after an absolutely terrible crash in free practice in the in the Moto Two class, and it was having seen footage of the crash. It was one of those instances where, on many many occasions, riders have walked away. He was just unfortunate enough; the bike struck him.
1: Uh, you know motorbike racing you know, a lot better than I do, um, so I'm not obviously going to comment on the on the crash, other than to say it. You know, it, it's a terrible thing when this happens in any um, scenario, and and to have a one rider or one driver crash like that have, have that kind of outcome is um, is a bit surprising, and it it, it puts you. You know, in mind of the ever-present question of bike, car, circuit, safety, and, and this particular problem that a lot of circuits are having to grasp at the moment in terms of how do we make our tracks safe for both cars and bikes. And it was interesting to me that in the wake of it, they switched to using the F1 layout of the track. Uh,
0: the the piece I'd direct you to is Matt Oxley, who writes Motorsport Magazine, wrote a fantastic piece about this this whole debate, and, and his... Um main point was that the, the accident with Louis Salome is probably the first time in decades where a moto GP rider has been been killed in something other than a freak incident or a multi-bike racing incident where tragically these things happen and he points back to Jiro Kato in 2003 at uh, Suzuka as the last last time where, where the sort mm. of Sort of incident has taken be- place because
1: motorbike riders are always going to be susceptible to coming yeah. off the bike and then you know you're it, vulnerable to other
0: bikes it, exactly. And it, it, it's a bizarre one because in the immediate aftermath, there was a lot of anti tarmac runoff sentiment, but then a lot of the tarmac runoff, certainly at the Parabolica in Monza, was put there at the behest of the motorbike riders because the gravel trap was causing the bikes to start bouncing, it was causing the risers to bounce. and. Aloud awkwardly, and it's really there. There is no easy answer. If you come off a motorbike at 160 miles an hour, it it's likely to have quite an unfortunate consequence. So, other news. I've got here Sorrel and Eccleston. What's your talking point? This really caught my eye.
1: um, The the rising profile of Martin Sorrel in in terms of Formula 1 management. They ran an interview with him uh, on their website a couple of weeks ago uh, where he was basically laying out a kind of a vision, as he sees it, for the future of Formula 1, which in some ways differs from the sort of standard line that we've heard from Eccleston. Um, And this interested me for two reasons. Um, You know, first of all, because it's unusual to hear anyone from within Formula One group who isn't Eccleston talking about you know what where's the sport going how are we going to make money out of this in the future how is it going to develop the future of broadcasting what tracks they go to you know the whole picture and also sort of shoring up him as a figure with an F1 past and and talking about how you know the one line that's kept coming up is uh, his presence at the Monaco Grand Prix back when Jackie Stewart was racing there and all the rest of it so that in itself is interesting but also to me the fact that this is the second time he's popped up in this context this year because a couple of months ago he did uh, an interview with Eccleston at an event in London, an advertising event, and this was an hour up on the stage in front of the cameras, generated a lot of publicity, Um, and it does kind of make you think in terms of what is going to happen post-Eccleston, what are Formula One Group's plans, what are Eccleston's plans, Um, what figures may come to the fore, and I think those two things taken together does make you, you know, I, I think it's been positioned in such a way as to make us think Martin Sorrell is one of these names who's being lined up in that way.
0: Yeah, and for Bernie Eccleston, I'm, I'm sure there's a degree of, of wanting to anoint a successor and manage that transition, because you certainly take the view that Christian Horner and Toto Wolff, or are the other names that get bandied around a lot, are probably not suitable because of, of vested interests.
1: I, I think also Ferrari are reported to have a power of veto over who can move in in this regard, and, and the chances of you know a guy from one of their top rival teams getting the gig is something they definitely wouldn't want to see. There's and, of course, things- Montezemolo is also on the F1
0: board. Yeah, very few things Ferrari don't seem to get. If I, if I was to throw some names at it, I would say Jonathan Palmer would be a very strong candidate if you wanted somebody steeped in the sport as a driver, solid, as a circuit Very owner, solid business background. ...and promoter, and knows the business inside out. Also, likewise, Alan Gow from the British Touring Car Championship. Those are the sort of people... I would be looking to maybe go a bit left field, people who've been ringmasters, who understand all the politics and, and might well be able to step up.
1: But Equally recently, uh, Montezemolo in between having one of his latest whinges about oh the cars aren't fast or loud enough um, was espousing the view that whoever steps in, in place of Eccleston it may well have to be multiple people and that is definitely a scenario which I think is realistic a figurehead but also a couple of other guys you know, t- to get jobs done in different areas.
0: Would be Yeah, license for chaos. Wow. Yeah. uh, And it leads us. So so very little will change. (laughs) Indeed. It it leads us in nicely. You put out a call on Twitter for questions. Uh, We will have Grammar Corner for everybody who did a like and a retweet rather than a question. But we we had a very good question from Pete Richardson, which is Should celebrities be doing interviews?
1: I don't think that was his question, was it?
0: (laughs) That was one of them. And that's the one that's the one that, that got me excited because you cannot have enough of people who know nothing about motor racing talking to winners on the podium.
1: It, it certainly always warms the cockles of my heart and, and when uh, Max Verstappen had that amazing shock win uh, at the Circuit de Catalunya uh, and he was then up in front of Pl- Placido Domingo answering all kinds of meandering, rambling drivel, uh, I certainly wasn't throwing my shoes at the television.
0: I, I think the thing is it should be reciprocal because if you want to have a movie star... Come and interrupt my Grand Prix. Then I want Kimi Räikkönen to be presenting the Oscars. You know, I think I think people have learned quite quickly. People should state what they're good at. Uh, after that, well, talking about celebrities
1: uh, connecting to Formula One, though, recently I saw Red Bull have had uh, Lindsey von driving one of their. Oh, actually, it was a Formula Renault three point five, now a Formula V eight three point five car at the Red Bull Ring.
0: Yeah, and that that's kind of cool. And I quite like it when you when you see the celebra- a celebrity who's prepared to step up and actually and, have a go. And, and actually have a go. So so that that's positive. The, the the question I think that you were alluding to is does Formula One try too hard to make itself popular?
1: Yeah, and it's a that's a difficult one to answer, and it's I think I said to Pete on Twitter that's an essay question kind of kind of question because I think to an extent it's inevitable that it has to because you know we live in the real world Formula One's a huge business and you know we've all seen what's happening to the television figures at the moment off the top of my head I think there were six hundred million in two thousand eight and there were four hundred million last year. Obviously some of that will have gone because people are watching online legally and those figures can be traced. Some of that will be gone because some people are watching online illegally um, and those figures can't be traced. But I also think there's probably a substantial number of people who just aren't watching anymore um, and, and the question is where the, where are those numbers are going and I think Formula One does realistically have to address that but in terms of is it trying too hard to be popular? The problem I always have when I think about this is I find it hard to separate the things that annoy me about Formula One from what do I really think is holding it back. You know, I can't stand DRS. Is it actually hurting F1's popularity? I honestly don't know. I really couldn't tell you. I think for, for dedicated fans like myself, it's a big turnoff, but we probably keep watching anyway. For the casual fans, maybe they don't even notice it's there.
0: I think it's also overarching, all, all of it, is there's too much too many other things to do now on a Sunday afternoon. That's definitely a huge competing factor. having spoken with with promoters in the sport in Europe, they cite that as really the number one issue, Mm. that now you've got shops open on a Sunday, you've got many, many television channels available. There are other things for people to do. Whereas actually, if you go even 20 years ago, and you look back on the Haitian days of the 1990s, actually most people in the United Kingdom had four television channels the other three were showing pretty terrible programming, so you watched the Grand Prix because the shops were shut and there was nothing else to do. Yeah, pretty much. Um, But I also think that there's another way of looking at this
1: question. Does Formula 1 take its popularity problem seriously enough? I would answer that with a no because I think you look at some of the things that have happened recently you know the readiness with which it went for things like double points or this stupid elimination qualifying system which was only ever going to fail and lasted two races which were two races longer than it should have done you know these are symptoms of a sport that realizes it's got problems but isn't handling them in an in an intelligent you know critical way it's just coming up with knee jerk oh this will fix it and throwing out these ideas that then completely bomb so I think there's something to be said for yeah, it it realizes it's got a popularity problem but it doesn't attack it properly.
0: Yeah. Yes, I I completely agree and I don't think Formula 1 has quite got to the root cause of what's not making it popular.
1: And I do think it's a hard question to answer. I, and Formula 1 is a very complex product, you know. I always think, you know, something like football, obviously I'm not really a football fan. It's a pretty simple idea to sell. It's 22 guys kicking a ball around. Formula 1, you've got cutting edge car design you've got the sporting element of it you've got you know the entertainment question mark element of it the business element of it is always going to be huge balancing all those things out isn't easy and you know it does get things wrong sometimes And i do criticize it and i think that's correct but you should also appreciate this is a very
0: complex sport and you've hit the nail on the head for me it is too complicated for for most people to follow the races are devastatingly complex and you've got the strategy, you've got different types of tyres, you've got DRS, you've got this, that, and the other, and it just becomes a little bit of a headache, and and it becomes a headache for me. And with the strategy, and and I've said it before, if people really wanted to see cars in the pits, there'd be grandstands outside QuickFit every weekend. People want to see cars going quickly on the track and racing wheel-to-wheel on the track, and they don't want DRS. You want cars that have got an aero package that means they can actually race overtaking is possible it's not easy but it's possible Hmm.
1: no i i I tend to agree with that i mean that this is my position you know as a as a long-term you know passionate fan of the sport i've been watching f1 for god since 1989 um and yeah that that is basically how i see it as well i i think that would sell and i also think we're in this unfortunate situation now where because the popularity is a problem it's a constant subject of debate and it's always been talked about in in the TV commentaries and again I'm you know, I'm not criticizing the journalists or commentators or, or or the media in as a whole because it's obviously a talking point but the very fact that it's become a problem means it feeds into itself not always in a very
0: healthy way no no easy answers i think is the answer to that question so let's have a little bit of look ahead and again by the time that you listen to this, the race may well be underway or will have finished the Le Mans 24 Hours this weekend. Keith, what are your thoughts on the Le Mans 24 Hours?
1: I can't wait. It's always one of my absolute favourite races um, and as we record this at the moment qualifying one was yesterday qualifying two is about to happen um obviously you know who actually gets on pole doesn't really decide an awful lot but just getting to you know watching the cars seeing them at night uh all lit up it's just amazing um but what's got me interested for this year's race i think i think there's one interesting point around this year's race that i've not seen much discussion of um, and that is that while the field has increased in size we've gone up from 56 cars to 60 this year that in itself is great to see but up at the front The LMP1 field has really shrunk. We've gone down from 14 cars to just nine. Um, I think there's a couple of things there. Obviously, you know, a big part of that reduction is because of Nissan. And let's be realistic, they were never lapping at LMP1 speeds to begin with. Um, But it's a real pity that, you know, after their effort with their radical car didn't work out last year, they didn't just think, okay, you know, let's build something a bit more conventional and come back and have a crack at it. They sort of, and I didn't really like this at all quietly put out this press release over christmas when no one was paying attention i think it was like the 23rd of december or something just saying oh we're not coming back to L'Amour next year I, I thought that was a really um a really poor end to that so they're not back um and obviously then you know the traffic que- situation for the lmp1 drivers is going to be incredibly fierce Um, And I I just hope that we start to see a bit more competition at the sharp end for LMP1. I did see today uh, the ACO have announced in their wisdom that the LMP1 non-manufacturer, non-hybrid cars are going to be allowed to have a drag reduction system for 2018. You can probably imagine what my opinion of that is.
0: I understand it's dynamic aero and not a drag DRS. Right. But quite what that means, I
1: don't know. It basically means they're so much slower than the LMP1 hybrids, and who can be surprised at that? Let's give them an artificial boost so they can catch up.
0: And what what I hope is that we get through this year without a very large accident. My worry, somebody who commentates on GT racing quite a lot, is there's quite a few drivers in the field I've not heard of.
1: And wow, in any field, Ben, that amazes yeah. me, with your encyclopedic knowledge of British Formula Ford
0: and Formula 3 over the years. And so that that makes me nervous, because I think this is probably the only global showpiece sporting event where you can buy your way in, in any field. So if I want, if I won Euro Millions, I couldn't buy my place at Euro 2016 to play for England. I might do a better job than Wayne Rooney, but I couldn't buy my way in. Who? Quite. I couldn't buy my way into Wimbledon to play tennis there, but I could get myself onto the grid at the Mans 24 hours within about 12 months of taking up motorsport. And so, that, so that that always scares me slightly.
1: It is, yeah, a concern. And and when you talk about, you know, the, the field size getting bigger and you look at where this growth has come from, it has come predominantly from the classes which have amateur slash gentleman drivers, gentlewomen drivers in, in some cases perhaps as well. But, also, um, sorry, go on.
0: No, no. You, you, I was going to move on from Le Mans 24 Hours.
1: Okay, I've got loads on Le Mans. <laughs> if that's all right with you, go for it. No, I was. Uh, one of the things that really caught my eye, though, um, was the Garage 56 entry for this year. Um, which previously has been um, given over to you know alternatively fueled cars, electric cars. They tried to have a hydrogen car a couple of years ago, which didn't work. But this year is an LMP two car which has been uh, adapted so that uh, a guy, a quadruple amputee called Frederick Sausset uh, can drive it. And I, this is an absolutely amazing story. I must admit, um, you know, in my horrible, cynical, jaded way, when I first heard about you know here's a racing driver who'd lost his limbs, I thought, oh, he must have had a crash. He actually had a disease called I've got it written down here, and I'm sure I'm going to pronounce it wrong. Papura fulminans, which is an absolutely horrific-sounding illness, something you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy. It's basically a flesh-eating bacteria, um, which led to him having um, his, most of his arms and legs uh, amputated. Um, and he, they basically winch him into the car. He's got a special seat made up, which has um, uh, pedals and so on set up so that he can manipulate them with um, you know, what he has of his limbs. Um, And he has to have things like uh, a gas canister, ejector seat to help him get out of the car in in the mandatory uh, minimum time for getting out of the car. Um, The reason that the car gets a a sort of garage 56 dispensation is because of those alterations and because it also has things like ABS. um, Because obviously he hasn't got the power in in the legs, he hasn't got to operate the brake pedal. Um, But that's an amazing story. And I really, really hope that car is still running at the end of uh, the 24.
0: Yeah, it's a fantastic use of of that dispensation. and, And long may it continue.
1: Yeah, I think that's, that's awesome. But what do you make of the fact that for the first time, we're going to go back to F1 a bit here, first time in five years, Formula 1 has scheduled a race to clash in. Do we think it has anything to do with the fact that an active F1 driver went there last year and won?
0: Yeah, there, no, no comment for legal reasons. What disappointed me slightly and what will be interesting going forward is if an active F1 driver decides to do Le Mans over a Grand Prix.
1: I don't think that will ever happen. I, I I'll say that right now. I'm, I, I think contractually, I can't see that happening.
0: I'm, I'm not so sure. Yeah. Well. If you have a Formula One team who have got a sponsor that's common with Le Mans, and that sponsor would rather have your F1 driver win Le Mans 24 Hours, it could happen.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm not. I'm not. Um... Yeah, I'm not particularly convinced, but, you know, maybe, maybe. But I do think it is, um, well, yeah, I I do think it was put there specifically so that we wouldn't get more F1 drivers because I think Le Mans did very well out of that last year. I thought it really threw a bit more light on it and it did have uh, lead a few F1 journalists to go over there and write about the race uh, and compare it perhaps not entirely favorably uh, with F1.
0: And also, it's no coincidence as well, one could argue that the Formula E season finale also clashes with the Grand Prix, because that didn't last year, and there was a similar similar effect.
1: Although the Formula E season finale very nearly didn't happen uh, this year. but well, that, that's uh, but, yeah. true. But anyway, very much looking forward to Le Mans. I understand that rain is forecast for the start of the race, so that will really um, throw things up. Um, yeah.
0: Well, in the interest of time, shall we move on to the next round of the IndyCars, Road America, which is a very overdue return to the circuit. And the the exciting or terrible news, depending on your view, is that you and I will be commentating on the whole race for British television. It's great for you and me. Absolutely wonderful. Also a very good opportunity for anybody at home to test the mute button on, on their remote.
1: Um, but I'm really interested because we were having a back and forth about this on Twitter and I didn't quite catch where this conversation led us. When was the last time we had a, a British commentary team doing a full commentary on in IndyCar race? I think we ended up with it being more than a decade ago.
0: Yes. they Certainly Eurosport had a British commentary team in the, the late late days of Champ Car. So 2006-ish. Um, I remember watching the, the IndyCar race on the BBC from Rockingham and, again, that wasn't... The, the American commentary team. I think it's probably worth picking up why we're doing this because it is an absolute technical nightmare for us to do the break filling that we, we currently do on on BT Sport. And when we're doing the races, we get a large proportion of the comments we get back say we'd like to have a go with British commentators doing the whole race. We're doing this as an experiment. We We hope it works. We hope you like it. If it really doesn't work, we can go back to the American countries. We're just trying it out to see see if it works.
1: Yeah, and there are a lot of things that we won't really know until we get in, in there and try it, which, such as you know how are we going to be able to incorporate feedback from the pits, other information that comes out to the, to the teams, and all the rest of that. It, it, it is a little bit suck it and see.
0: But also there is a statement of intent here between the UK broadcast partners for IndyCar, because if they see there's a British commentary team doing the races they may well say come out to some of the events do it on site for us and that's surely got to be something to aspire to we want to do the very very best coverage possible for UK fans the ad free stuff we've done is brilliant it's a step forward from where we were
1: and we were thrilled to get the opportunity to do that much
0: we we know it can it can be done a bit better Um, but it was lovely on holidays have lots of people telling me I was a terrible commentator on Twitter it was absolutely brilliant Uh, Also, next weekend, we've got the return of the Formula V8 3.5s to Paul Ricard, and they've had six different winners in six races so far. They're probably due a dry weekend. I expect late June in Paul Ricard they'll get one.
1: Yeah, that's looking a bit better for them. Um, Yeah, Tom Dillman doing really nicely uh, in that championship, Um, but... You could see one of the others taking a bit of a run at him. Vaxiviere, if, if he's got that car sorted now, I definitely have a look at him. And he—he he was so fired up in that in the French round last year, which obviously wasn't at Pori car, it was at Le Mans Bugatti. Um, I think he will be right up at the hot end.
0: Yeah, they. Oh, it was very nice to be at Spa to see those cars. They are amazing in the flesh absolutely amazing in the flesh it's also very nice to be in race control to overhear an absolutely blazing row between one of the drivers and the race director after qualifying shows that the passions are running high
1: i'm sure i couldn't possibly work out who that was
0: they may have had a crash in race two that was quite a big one also on next weekend to close there's the dtm and european f3 at the norris ring now
1: there is a track i love it's such a weird one and you know I actually found that track by mistake once. I was on a, a school trip to um, Berlin or Munich or somewhere, and we took a trip out to the Nuremberg to see the the rally war uh, so the the Nazi rally grounds. Um, and we were walking around there, and I hadn't actually heard of the Norris Ring at this time. And I'm looking at the pavement, and then I realised
0: there was grid hatchings on the floor. So like, this is a racing track. I was so excited. Germany's got a fine track record in absolutely bonkers street circuits. Absolutely, Avis. Exactly. Yeah. We, we could probably do a special on, on on mad German street circuits. If you ever get a chance to pick up the, the reviews of the DTM from the early 1990s, some of the Wunstorf, and some, Deep halt, some of the- Deep
1: Holtz, so that's the one I was trying to think of. Crazy air cra- um, old airfield circuit. Brilliant.
0: Absolutely brilliant. So, uh,
1: makes Baku look a bit tame. Although, you know, some of the F1 drivers are a bit concerned about Baku.
0: <laughs> you're an F1 driver to an extent. Get on with it. That's maybe a slightly blunt assessment. We've got lots and lots of racing to look forward to over the next couple of weeks. We will be back, I think, the week after next. And as ever, do get your questions and comments in on Twitter, at Ben Commentator, at Keith Collentine. Uh, Apologies if we've been a bit all over the place today. It's been a pretty rough week in the UK, news-wise, and there is a lot of hateful rhetoric going on around the referendum at the moment, which is proving to be very, very depressing. So that's it for this week. We will enjoy your racing and we'll talk again very soon.